Welcome to Ad Exchanger Talks, the podcast devoted to examining the issues and trends in advertising and marketing technology that matter most to you. I'm Allison Schiff. You're listening to Ad Exchanger Talks, and my guest this week is Adam Solomon. His official title is the Global Head of Business Development and Go-To-Market for AWS Cleanrooms and AWS Entity Resolution, or as I crown him in this episode, the Data Cleanroom Guy. We'll talk about cleanrooms, of course, and compare the walled garden versions to the indie versions. We'll get into why AWS got into ad tech and MarTech how Amazon advertising does and doesn't work with Amazon Web Services, and lots of other good stuff, including a kind of random aside about the 1974 horror movie Black Christmas. It's all in there. But before we get started, let me do a quick promo for our new event. We're coming to you live March 13th and 14th in NYC for the first ever CTV Connect the ultimate hub for all things connected TV, powered by AdExchanger, that's us, Synopsis Media, AdMonsters, and Chief Marketer. Join us as we bring together all the CTV stakeholders at a first-of-its-kind summit to discuss key issues, address challenges, and share ideas for bringing the power of digital advertising to the streaming TV world. Secure your spot now by visiting ctvconnect.com and be part of where the market is heading. And while you're at it, just know that the 2024 Programmatic I.O. Season Pass is now available. Join us for both Programmatic I.O. events in Las Vegas and New York at one low rate. Get more education and networking for less. Register today at programmatic.io and use code SP200 to save $200 off your season pass. Hey, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Allison. So fun fact about you, you apparently hold together with a few other co-inventors, at least eight advertising and personalization-related patents issued between 2013 and last year. It's always so fun because when I have a guest on the show, I just do a little digging. Like, can I find out something kind of interesting or unlikely about them easily, or do I have to ask and dig? But it was right there on your LinkedIn, eight different patents. Uh, The first one issued in October 2013. I'll read the official name. Dynamic Integration and Nonlinear Presentation of Advertising Content and Media Content, US 8571936. And then throughout the years, more patents. uh, The last one issued in early January of last year, so just over a year ago, for uh, Prospect Selection for Direct Mail, which sounds very very pebble posty to me. Um, And you were the chief product officer there around five years ago. So, what is the story here? Do you just create ad tech for fun in your spare time. I, are you saying this is not a common pattern for uh, <laughs> other people that you meet in ad tech? Uh, so there is, uh, th- there is a, um, a good set of stories behind that, which, which I will uh, condense. But when I joined MTV Networks, uh, this was in 2008, I um, led uh, new ad product strategy for MTV Networks. And I was hired by Nada Stirrett, who ran uh, digital advertising at MTV Networks at the time. And then she moved on to MySpace, Axiom, and then Meta. But during those uh, early days there, we were working on centralizing digital ad products and standardizing digital ad products at 
MTV networks, and this is MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, uh, Nickelodeon. And uh, I had a background as a patent attorney, uh, also another uh, strange bit in my background, but I had knowledge of, of patents as a patent attorney. And in discussions with Nada and the team, we were doing a lot of innovation around interactive video ads. Uh, today, everyone's very familiar with a click to skip on video ads, but this was pretty innovative at the time and having different elements of video ads that you can interact with to make the ads more memorable. And as we were doing work at MTV Networks uh, on these interactive video ad formats, I noted to Nada and the leadership team and also to our general counsel that there could be some work that we're doing here that's patentable. And in these early days of uh, video advertising innovation, it could be beneficial to file a lot of uh, patent applications in this area to protect MTV Network's position as startups were co coming on the scene like Innovid and Jivox and Seltra and others. And so we developed a strategy there. We worked together um, with our digital advertising team and with our general counsel to file a series of patent applications for our interactive video ad formats. And I was one of the inventors on a bunch of them. And over time, they, they did issue. So most of my patents are for interactive video advertising. And then the most recent patents uh, did relate to my work at Pebble Post, which is uh, the inventors of programmatic direct mail, where individuals can interact with websites and in a privacy protected manner, um, create segments to receive physical direct mail at their home. And the challenge was, how do you take individuals who are interacting online and then send physical direct mail to their home in a privacy compliant way? And we came up with some very innovative ideas and I was an inventor on those. So throughout my career, I've actually been a patent attorney helping inventors get patents, but I've also been an inventor. And this is very much aligned with my love of innovation. And, um, but it's always cool to have those, have those patents with the really ridiculous, long, complicated names. <laughs> it is pretty excellent as well to be able to introduce yourself at cocktail parties as an inventor. You could do that if you that, wanted to. That, that is true. That is true. And I, my undergraduate degree is in aerospace engineering, so I can pick from inventor or rocket scientist. So it's a good, it's always good for, for cocktail fodder. Damn. <laughs> You're a smart guy. Uh, so I, I don't know if people really hand out physical business cards anymore. At least I haven't handed one out or been given one in what feels like a very long time. But uh, would your current title fit on a business card? Global Head of Business Development, development and Go-To-Market for AWS Clean Rooms and AWS Entity Resolution. It is quite the title. Uh, what, what do you do all day? Uh, it, it is it is uh, quite a, a long uh, title, and we've been trying to figure out ways to uh, <laughs> compress that a bit. But uh, so I work at AWS, Amazon Web Services, which is the cloud computing division of Amazon, and I currently lead global business development for two of our products. One of them is AWS Clean Rooms, which is our data clean rooms product. And the other one is AWS Entity Resolution, which is our identity resolution product. And uh, these are two distinct products, but I guess like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, they're two great tastes that <laughs> taste great together. They do work very well together. Identity Resolution plays a tremendous role in data clean rooms. So I uh, lead our business development and go-to-market teams across those two services. And I've 
I've had the honor of being associated with those products pretty much from the beginning, um, from our initial ideas um, related to those products. But that's what I do, trying to find ways to describe it. But I think um, in, in some ways, uh, the the length of the title and the descriptiveness of the title is a proxy for the fact that as an industry, we're, we're trying to figure out what these kinds of services do, what these products do, and uh, how companies can use them. So um, I'm sure we'll get into that conversation as well. But I'm always looking for an abbreviated title if people have ideas. The clean room guy. I don't know. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, so entity resolution. Why call it entity resolution and not identity resolution? Well, when we first started out on this journey, talking to different types of AWS customers, and at AWS, our customers range from marketers. Every AWS customer is a marketer in some way, whether you're B to C, B to B, or B to B to C. Talking to marketers, agencies, ad tech, martech, media platforms, publishers, And as we were asking them about their identity resolution needs, we were hearing them describe the need to cluster data together around notions of individuals, but also they were describing the need to join data together by household or by business. Or in a parallel track, we even heard customers describe a need to cluster data together into notions of certain products like like SKUs. And so as we thought about the kinds of product we wanted to build in this area, it became clear that it was more than just people. It was more than just identity. It was people and households and businesses and even products. And so any resolution is a term that's used in industry to span um, matching and linking data uh, for all kinds of different purposes. So we went with the expansive. Expansive and more accurate, actually. Yeah. Um, so to, to back up, uh, on a previous episode of this podcast, it was, um, I think it was in May of last year, we had Miles Younger. He's the head of innovation and insights at U of Digital on. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about an emerging trend, which is that ad tech is converging with cloud technology, cloud-based platforms like AWS, Google Cloud Platform, Microsoft Azure, Snowflake, are becoming like facilitators for ad tech companies and that will reach a point or maybe we've already reached this point where ad stacks are cloud-based. So is is that how you see it? Uh, I feel like the answer is yes. And is that why Amazon got into the ad tech business? Yeah, I do agree, but I'm actually going to start in a slightly different place. So let's call it an adjacent place, which is marketing. So Companies in different industries, because of uh, the digital, digitally enabled uh, service and content platforms that consumers are interacting with these days, data is flowing in, in at uh, tremendous levels for all kinds of different sources. So consumers are interacting with web and mobile and different types of connected TV apps, but many types of devices are IP enabled lots of data flowing in. And companies of different types have a need to collect all that data and kind of figure out what what consumers are doing or their customers are doing across different platforms. And companies have been using cloud-based technologies to collect these uh, 
tremendous amounts of data from different sources and wrestle with it and try to link it together and figure out, is this the same person or this is the, the same household? And so we have, uh, historically, we have patterns where you have data management platforms and customer data platforms that were already moving to the cloud. But companies that have direct relationships with consumers, they were also figuring out how to leverage the cloud uh, using data lakes and data warehouses in the cloud to collect all that data, working in concert with ad tech and, and martech providers. So that's the starting point where data is being collected and piling up for the most part in the cloud these days. And companies are trying to figure out how to match and link that data together across different platforms and repositories in the cloud to figure out, is this a person? Is this a household? Is this the same business? And that's to understand your existing customers. So then that seems like a pretty logical uh, jumping off point for your advertising needs, because if this is where your existing customer data is and all the interactions with your platforms, if you're going to acquire new customers, then what is a good starting point to understand what your existing customers look like and then use that as part of an acquisition campaign or certainly from a measurement perspective to figure out what's happening in those campaigns. So I think we see a few trends happening here. One is um, just the uh, tremendous amount of data that companies have access to that they're trying to collect. Let's call that the world of marketing or customer 360. And then you have advertising. How do I find my next great customer? And it makes sense for those worlds to come together, especially um, now with the deprecation of third-party cookies, the loss of mobile identifiers, privacy laws, regulations, and so on. It puts first-party data in uh, a primary position, all the more reason why you'd want to bring the world of customer 360 marketing and, and advertising together on a common platform. And a lot of independent ad tech companies have started to build their business on AWS as well, right? Yeah, we have a tremendous uh, number of customers, both within uh, ad tech, so uh, DSPs, SSP, so demand-side platforms, supply-side platforms, but also measurement companies, tremendous number of customers on, on AWS, and also MarTech, uh, customer data platforms, um, journey orchestration platforms. Uh, many of those companies are also on AWS so uh, when it comes to SaaS providers, uh, we, we call them here at AWS independent software vendors, uh, we have a tremendous number of those customers on, on AWS. And then their clients, so marketers or publishers or anyone agencies, anyone using those platforms, they're also on AWS. And this is leading into this broader trend that we're seeing in industry on composability, which means that... Um, if data has gravity, and if your data is already on, on AWS in a data lake or data warehouse in AWS, the ability to work with different SaaS platforms and have those and give those SaaS platforms access to your data that's already in AWS cloud, that gives customers a lot of optionality in terms of uh, the right tool for the right job based on what they're trying to achieve. And there's a dotted line right from that to the launching of your own data cleanroom. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we were talking to different customers uh, across advertising and marketing, so 
the marketers, the agencies, ad tech, martech, uh, and publishers, we uh, were looking for certain patterns. What are customers doing today? Uh, Where are they seeing success? Uh, Where are they having challenges? And from an AWS perspective, uh, where can we help? So Amazon and AWS, where we're famous for our working backwards process, where we really dig into customer challenges and to understand what the background is and what customer challenges are and how perhaps um, we can help them address these, these needs. But also a really important question for us is, is why us? Where, where can we fit in? And by the way, just uh, an interesting aside, the Amazon working backwards process, these, these five questions we ask ourselves when understanding customers and, and how we can help them, is very similar to the construct of a patent application in terms of how it flows. So, so maybe, maybe I, I uh, found a comfortable home here because the way we think things through at Amazon, very similar to the thinking in a, in a patent application. But as we were talking to customers about their data collaboration needs, what we heard a lot of customers say is, and, and you were mentioning this before about all these different types of companies on AWS, companies were saying, hey, I'm on AWS or the SaaS platforms I use are on AWS. My partners are on AWS. Why are we moving data around a lot? Why are we like pushing data from bucket to bucket or um, using spreadsheets or whatever we're doing to collaborate? If, if most of us are on AWS, isn't there a better way to just leave our data in place and use some analytics capability native to the AWS cloud to perform, to uh, engage in collaboration and perform analysis across our data sets in a privacy enhanced manner without revealing the underlying granular contents of the data. So that's what customers were asking of us. And that um, became very important in informing AWS cleanrooms. Um, and, but not just the, the way we thought about AWS cleanrooms for today, but also thinking ahead in terms of what our customers would need in the future, in particular when it came to AIML. So that really was the, the foundation for our thinking there. What's your take on the LiveRamp Habu acquisition? And uh, do you think we're going to see some more consolidation there? I mean, I, I don't know if I would be surprised um, you know, if InfoSum and Optable at some point get acquired, maybe a year, year and a half. What do you think? Well, LiveRamp and Habu are both uh, customers uh, and partners to, to AWS, and actually they're both customers and partners for AWS Cleanrooms. And one of the things that has been very striking as we interact with customers of, of different types is that in the beginning, we were really thinking about data collaboration from a customer or company perspective, here's a marketer, here's an ad tech, here's a, here's a martech company, or here's a publisher. But as we dug in with these customers, another really important dimension to understanding their needs is which personas within those organizations are we engaging? Or for which personas are AWS products well-suited? And for which personas do we really need to introduce them to our partners. And one thing that both LiveRamp and Habu have done a really great job of is engaging uh, marketer personas or the CMO organization 
uh, within certain companies. Uh, so Habu has uh, created a, a very interesting and um, useful um, user interface that can operate across uh, different platforms. And LiveRamp has made it easier for companies to interoperate across different platforms. And so uh, we think that with data clean rooms, which is really a two to tango kind of product, right? If you want to collaborate, you have to have at least two, two parties to collaborate. It's not unusual to have one party in a collaboration that perhaps is very technically sophisticated. Uh, they could be a scaled publisher, social media platform, or an ad platform like Amazon ads or Trade Desk or Magnite and others. They could be very technically sophisticated, but they need to collaborate with someone that maybe is not as technically sophisticated or the key persona is not as technically sophisticated. And so they need uh, tools um, or applications to intera interact with to help them carry out um, their privacy-enhanced data collaboration. So we think that these uh, companies, uh, the, the ones that you mentioned and others, are going to play a very important role because there are different types of personas. They uh, Some are builders, some are buyers, some are in between. And so we think there's a role for, for everyone here in order to help the uh, industry move forward. Is anyone a competitor? It feels like, um, I don't know, everyone is partnered in some way. Even the companies you think would be competing with each other have partnerships. Well, I, I would phrase it this way. From an AWS perspective, we're customer obsessed. We're focused on our customers and we want to make them successful. So we're always listening to what they're asking of us. And we want to give them the products, the tools, the capabilities that they need to be successful. And within that context, we also have to be realistic. And if we hear from our customers that they need they, their data is on AWS, they're collaborating with some companies that are on AWS, but they're collaborating with others that might have their data in an on-prem data center or another cloud or some other SaaS platform, and they need some way to engage and interoperate so that they can be successful, um, we, we listen very carefully. We want to make sure that we can put our customers in a position to, to succeed. So once again, in a, in, when it comes to data collaboration for advertising and marketing, um, it's not just about you and where your data is, but it's also about your partners. And so we have to be realistic there and make sure we can um, give our customers the capabilities they need to be successful with their partners. Fair enough. Although I'm going to, uh, one more question before the break, bring up a story, actually a whole bunch of stories that my colleague, James Hercher, he's a senior editor here, has written about the dynamics between, I guess, I don't know how you would call them, like the walled garden style data clean rooms. AWS, Google, Microsoft, and you could kind of toss Snowflake in there, and the independent data clean room providers like LiveRamp owned Habu, Optable, and InfoSum. Um, so the the question is uh, a question that he asks in a story he wrote in, in early 2023 about whether independent clean rooms could pack it, like just considering that you know, Amazon and Google and Microsoft are in the game. So his his question is kind of open-ended. Can anyone beyond the big tech giants win in the clean room category? Maybe you'll even disagree with the premise of the question, but how would you answer that? I think maybe one way to think about it is 
Uh, I guess I'll, fra- I'll frame it in terms of uh, altitude. At what level uh, folks are are operating at, or maybe to mix my metaphors, where, where you are in the stack. So from an AWS perspective, when it comes to cloud technologies, we want to provide data clean room, privacy enhancing technologies for other companies to build upon. Now, these could be companies that are in the data clean room business. So Habu is a great example of a company that's in the data clean room business that uh, is a partner with uh, AWS Cleanrooms, and they build on top of our technologies. But also, we think in the future, data cleanroom technologies are going to enable the way companies plan their media campaigns, activate and measure through existing platforms. So for example, if you're a customer data platform, and you want to interoperate with a social media platform to plan a campaign, activate, and measure. Today, you might be using APIs to move segments back and forth between the customer data platform and the social media platform. But in the future, maybe instead of sending that data back and forth, you want to use cleanroom technologies to enable that so that no data moves back and forth. We believe AWS cleanrooms are the kinds of capabilities that could enable that. So at a very fundamental layer. One of our customers for AWS Clean Rooms is Amazon Ads. Amazon Ads has Amazon Marketing Cloud, which is a clean room product for marketers and agencies who use Amazon Ads to run campaigns with Amazon signals or their own first party signals. And also the recently announced Amazon Publisher Cloud, which is a product from Amazon Ads that helps publishers associate their first-party signals, like NBCU and Dot Dash, Meredith, with Amazon signals so that they can run campaigns through Amazon Ads against their properties. So that's a build upon AWS cleanrooms. So I think some of those companies that you mentioned operate at an application layer that they can build on top of AWS cleanrooms. And we think that we have capabilities uh, that can enhance their offerings, whether you're a conventional cleanroom company uh, or you're an ad tech, a martech, or a media platform that wants to add those capabilities to your own platform and services. I appreciate the nuance. There is no easy answer to that question because it does really depend at what point you're talking about, you know, a company in their evolution and what they want to accomplish. And the partnerships seem to be a little bit dynamic in that way. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we'll talk a little bit more about how Amazon works with AWS and also what all is in there. What's under the AWS umbrella? Uh, So stick with us. All right, we're back. And I probably should have done this more systematically a little bit earlier in our conversation, but now might be a good time to do a quick rundown of the products and I guess the constructs underneath the AWS umbrella. So we talked about entity resolution. There's the data clean room 
uh, product, of course. And there's Private Link, which, as I understand it, is a way to do, I'm sure I'm being so reductive, just secure data flows with an AWS service using a private connection. Um, am I missing anything? Are there other services that you would call out that um, you know come up a lot or are services that people should be aware of that they that don't come up as much? Yeah, absolutely. So um, year after year, we're continuously adding services at AWS. And uh, big picture, AWS services is information technology services on demand that uh, companies can consume. And for the most part, it's uh, pay-as-you-go services. You can consume as much uh, as you need and, and pay for that. And right now, we have over 200 services that we make available. Oh, more than the three I mentioned? More than the three you mentioned, over 200. And um, we have services in the uh, areas of analytics, database services, AIML, uh, compute. Uh, we uh, develop our own silicon. So we have our own um, chips uh, with our own servers that are designed and tweaked for different types of workloads. But one area that I would definitely uh, highlight, uh, and, and uh, these days it's a super hot area, is that AWS has developed a range of services in AIML, uh, broadly speaking, from the computer chips all the way up um, to the application layer. But of course, these days with all the 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 buzz and the AI. Are you going to say AI <laughs> around generative AI in particular? Yep. Uh, AWS has uh, Amazon Bedrock, which is a, a platform for generative AI at AWS. Um, but um, that's certainly uh, an area of of interest as well. But we have a range of services for uh, different types of customers for all kinds of needs um, beyond the three that you mentioned. But those those are definitely um, in the range of, the, of those that I focus on. So generative AI is obviously a very hot topic, although I, I feel like this year it might chill a little bit while people try to figure out how to actually apply these technologies. The, so it's not as shiny of an object, but that's a good thing. Um, what about cloud bills, right? I would assume that people have to spend a, a lot of money to run generative AI services. And I don't know that everybody necessarily realizes that, that you know, you can't just generate an image magically. Uh, it, someone has to pay for that. One of the things that I found so interesting when I joined AWS three and a half years ago is how committed we are as a company to help our customers save money. And it's such a strange thing to me coming from I've worked at startups. I've, I've worked for large media companies. Um, it never seemed like it was a priority to help our customers save money. But I think it's, it's part of the culture here at AWS, but also it's part of our long-term thinking that the more that we can help our customers, not just with their needs, but also to help them from a cost perspective, the greater the likelihood is that, that we're going to have long-term successful relationships with our customers. So beyond generative AI, there's all kinds of different workloads and things that our customers are doing that um, have certain cost structures and our customers are always looking um, to find ways to make more efficient. 
and um, reduce their spend in certain areas so that they can invest in, in others. So it's not uncommon to hear customers say, from a budgeting perspective, this is where I need to be. I really wish I can save some money in this area so that I can reinvest in innovation in another area. And generative AI, because of the compute power that's required, um, you know, could be something that, um, if not leveraged correctly, could be expensive. And so uh, we have a heavy focus here at AWS, everything starting from the nature of the silicon itself to be um, uh, quite uh, cost effective, but also in terms of how we work with customers in the uh, applications and services that we provide, and also counseling customers about the best way to use these services. But in specifically when it comes to advertising and marketing, one of the things that we're most excited about is that our customers are really thinking about ways of using generative AI within the enterprise, within the business, so that they can pull together data from different sources to better understand the campaigns that they're running or their customers and give them an ability to ask questions of the data to find out what their best performing campaigns were, uh, find interesting insights, and then use generative AI to visualize that data, to tell data stories, so that not only can they understand it, but let's say, for example, you're an agency and you want to help your clients better understand the outcome of a campaign, generative AI could be a very useful tool to create those data stories and visualizations to help your clients better understand what happened and where they could improve in the future. And I'll just also tie back to something I mentioned earlier about as we're thinking about AWS cleanrooms and where we want to go with customers and thinking long-term, even though today the applications of cleanroom technologies are, I would say, fairly rudimentary uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, customers are just trying to figure out intersections and audiences and trying to figure out if a campaign was, was successful. But we do see going forward that customers are going to want to leverage a full range of AI ML capabilities in cleanroom environments, including generative AI. And so we need to think towards that future. And so we're building our capabilities to uh, work with our customers over the long haul and not just what they need today, but also thinking ahead in the future, what customers are going to need to plan their campaigns, execute them, and then measure outcomes in a world where you're losing certain types of signals and have to rely on first-party data and other uh, signals. Losing signals, but at least you can have a conversation with your data clean room. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And hope hopefully it's a... It's an engaging and successful conversation. I'm just imagining, um, I don't know, like a version of of her. You know that movie, mm -hmm. and it just it gets a little bit too intense. You know, right, like right, right. You kind of just yes. have to take a step I, back from your data clean room. Abso absolutely, yeah. You can have the um, Hal, like uh, you know, 2001 yeah. uh, Space Odyssey, <laughs> or um, or perhaps the Scarlett Johansson version from her. Yeah, um, but hopefully, you're getting the right answers. This is so off topic, but I wonder why Care Delay. Um, he was in that that he was in two thousand and one. He mm -hmm. was the one who was talking to Hal. Why didn't he have more of a career? He was so great. I really like him. He might he might have freaked some people out. <laughs> so, well, really I sure. will. 
I will say over um, the Christmas break, I went to see a midnight movie at IFC um, down in the village, uh, Black Christmas. It's a horror movie with Care DeLay and Olivia Hussey from uh, Romeo and Juliet from like 1960. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a series of, you know, kind of ridiculous horror style murders in um, a a sorority house. It's the, uh, I think it's the original of the, like the call is coming from in the house, you know, that, that kind yeah. of cliche. Um, but yeah, he's, he's in that. And uh, he was really good in that too. So perhaps, pure delay. Perhaps, perhaps he was typecast. He might've been um, one more fun fact. And then I, we can go back to talking about AWS. Um, you know, a Christmas story. Yes. The guy who directed A Christmas Story also directed Black Christmas. <laughs> it's so bizarre. He, the, the bright side and the dark side of the holiday season. Indeed. Um, I have no idea how to segue into the question I want to ask next, although I can kind of make one. I wanted to ask about Amazon Prime. <laughs> um, so we're, we're recording this episode the week before Amazon plans to start showing ads in, in Amazon Prime Video by default. Um, maybe A Christmas Story is available there or Black Christmas. I don't know. That's my segue. Um, so that's happening January 29th. Is AWS supporting the launch in, in any way? So I think a good starting point, and this is something that um, when we talk to customers or, or sometimes when we talk to the press to uh, first, um, yeah, Amazon could be a complicated organization and we have many different divisions. So um, I, I've been talking about AWS. I did mention Amazon ads in passing. So Amazon ads and AWS distinct divisions. And of course we have prime video and we have amazon.com retail and these other business units of Amazon are customers of AWS. So whether it's Amazon Marketing Cloud and Amazon uh, Publisher Cloud that are using AWS Cleanrooms or Prime Video and other parts of Amazon that, that are using other AWS services. So these are customers of AWS and uh, are leveraging uh, different combinations of the over 200 services that I mentioned before. And Amazon Prime Video and also Amazon Ads are thinking about how to leverage these technologies uh, for their customers as well. So we have the example of Amazon Publisher Cloud of taking uh, helping publishers associate their data with Amazon ad signals in order to improve advertising there. But certainly as customers are using Prime Video, if we have an opportunity to help the Prime Video team with their initiatives, whether it's running campaigns through Amazon ads or um, measurement or any other area that could benefit from these services, that's something we would like to make available to them. And for AWS customers, our customers are always asking us for better together solutions. Is there a way to work with AWS and our services and work with Amazon, whether it's Prime Video or Amazon Ads, in a way that um, can work more smoothly and easier between the two? If that's what our customers are asking for, we're, we're always looking for ways to improve. 
Although it's tricky because you can't work too closely together because that might, you know, not look great, actually. We, we definitely have uh, some um, stringent ways we operate here and, um, and we work with uh, those companies as our internal customers. I'm, I'm assuming you're a Prime subscriber. I am a Prime subscriber, yes. Are you going to keep the AVOD version or pay $2.99 a month to get the ad-free version starting at the end of January? Uh, I'm I'm going to stick with the uh, ad supported version. I would say that as a as a consumer, as long as advertising advertising is uh, tailored and appropriate, I, I I usually don't mind. But also, someone who's steeped in the industry, I've been in the advertising and marketing industry over 26 years. There's also part of me that's just also is curious about uh, different types of user experiences, ad products. Um, and to, to look at what that experience is like and ways it can be improved and learn from that. So I'm uh, very much uh, looking forward uh, to the Prime Video ad experience. If you have any ideas, you could throw a patent on them. Who knows? That potentially <laughs> is possible as long as it's innovative enough. By the way, I noticed um, that AWS is hiring. I, I saw a job posting for a senior business development manager for AWS Clean Rooms and Entity Resolution. And I was looking through some of the um, you know, boxes you're looking to tick, someone with expertise in how to apply data clean room and identity resolution technologies for advertising and marketing, who has an ad tech background, commercial aptitude, a passion for privacy enhanced data collaboration. Looks like there have been, because um, LinkedIn will tell you these things, about 35 applicants for that role so far. But it it sounds like a very, very specific person. Like, is it hard to find those people? It is hard to find those people. And uh, I am uh, hiring right now uh, for uh, the team that I lead. And right now, it's so interesting because we have these challenges in our industry, whether you're on the marketing or customer 360 side of the equation, where um, there's a need to bring together all this signal to better understand your existing customers. And by the way, in order to build out that customer 360, that 360 view, you only have, as an individual company, a small percentage of that. A lot of that other data lives elsewhere. So you need to collaborate with others to build out that 360 view. So on that marketing side, there's a lot of complexity and you have to have a lot of industry experience and expertise to understand how that world works. And then advertising is its a whole other uh, universe in terms of understanding all the different players involved and planning, activating, and, and measuring campaigns. So there's all the industry expertise. And then there's, from a technology perspective, whether it's understanding cloud technologies or the technologies that ad tech and martech companies bring to bear to help address some of these needs. So for this kind of role, we're looking for someone who understands the industry really understands the customer challenge, but also understands how different technologies can be used and can be assembled in different combinations to address these needs. And so it's a little product, a little marketing, a little sales, and, um, and we have a high bar. You know, we're looking for, the, for you know, really uh, solid folks here to help our customers. And so it is rather challenging, but um, I'm surrounded by incredibly talented people here at AWS and Amazon, 
And when we hire, we're always looking to raise the bar, literally. So uh, it is a challenge, but it's been uh, a lot of fun um, getting to meet different people, uh, listening to their experiences and trying to find that right fit. So you you said um, data that lives elsewhere and working with others to build a 360 degree view. Um, of course, that's really necessary because you're not going to have all of the data yourself to build a full understanding of somebody. Um, when I was doing a little background reading on um, you know on you before the podcast, I came across a column that you wrote for us. Um, probably three years ago. Well, it was the summer of 2020. So right in right during the heart of the pandemic, uh, you were chief growth officer at Lotomy. It's like a hot second before you joined Amazon. And the headline was first party data was never enough for marketers. That's glaringly obvious now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it was during the pandemic when people's habits and routines were completely upended. And it's um, this kind of impassioned sort of, you know, support of the importance of third-party data because people are complicated, the world is complicated, and they don't just, you know, interact online and then, you know, throw a few of those signals together and you have a person. Uh, So I appreciate all of that. But like from a marketer's point of view, they need or at least want like every signal, every connection and data point at their disposal. That's how you put it in the piece. But Mm -hmm. how does that fit in with just other trends? Like we were talking about um, regulatory scrutiny, more focus on consumer privacy, um, signal loss, uh, data minimization, which is starting to be written into US laws. It was more of a European concept before. It seems like um, two separate worlds. Well, it, it's uh, it's good to know that at least I've been consistent throughout. You have. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in the prior Ad Exchanger article, but I distinctly recall when I was working at MTV Networks uh, back in the time of these patents uh, that we used to say that uh, because we had um, Nickelodeon as one of our properties, we used to say that the only thing we know about SpongeBob viewers is that they watch SpongeBob. That's the only huh. signal we had, and we wanted to, to know more. And so there's definitely a need for whether you're a marketer or an agency representing a marketer or a publisher to augment your view of customers, what they declare to you and what you observe with, with other signals, other information. Now, that information could reside with your commercial partners. Let's call that second-party data. Or they could be third parties, companies that are in the business of aggregating data with additional demographic or purchase history and so on. One thing that's incredibly important for everyone involved is that everyone needs to ensure that the manner in which they collected that data, the permissions associated with it, and the way it's tracked and so on is in compliance with laws, regulation, consumer expectations, terms of condition, terms and conditions between uh, those properties and those consumers, that always is a constant. And it has to be something that is prioritized across everyone. Assuming that's in place and the data is accessed correctly, collected uh, correctly with with the right uh, permissions and accordance with the law, then those parties can collaborate with each other once again, as long as it's consistent with um, permissions, laws, and regulations. So um, data clean rooms, privacy enhancing technologies, these are tools that companies can use to collaborate and analyze uh, 
but still companies need to do the right thing when it when it comes to how they collect data from who and what those permissions are uh, along the journey. So we're we're nearly at the end of our journey together. Adam, I have one more question for you. And this is a question I've been asking a few different people. Where did ad tech go wrong? So I'll frame it like this. If you had a time machine, putting aside the paradox of time travel, where you travel back in time and cause some horrible riff, maybe cause yourself not to be born or something, what exact point would you go back to and make a change that would alter the future of ad tech and programmatic for the better? Ooh. Um, so, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to blame the third party cookie because the third party cookie is a, it's a getting tool. so much flack. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was just, it was just a tool, but I think as we start unpacking everything, I think what we're going to, what we, what we will find and what we have found is that on too many occasions, ad tech took the easy way out. Um, and I think a lot of it was because of the way companies were formed, venture-backed, looking for that, that, that big bonanza. Everyone moved extremely fast, tried to find the quickest way to ramp up their user base, r- ramp up initial revenue, to position themselves well for an IPO or some exit. And because of that, there were certain tools and capabilities and ways of doing things that were the most expedient, that allowed people to move the fastest and encourage short-term thinking, not long-term thinking. And I think that's where we went off the rails with a lot of the practices in the industry. I don't know if there would be an easy way to fix that, uh, to compel folks to think more long-term and travel the harder road. Uh, for some of these uh, capabilities. But um, looking at where we went wrong a few times uh, was because we took the expedient path, because the data was there, because something was there, and, and people were trying to move really fast um, to you know, get that bonanza. I think that's where we went off, went off the rails a little bit. I think I, I agree with you. Yeah, there wouldn't be like a specific point in time to pop into with the DeLorean. It, it really is more of a, of a diffuse problem. But uh, Adam, I thank you for that and for giving me an opportunity to talk about Black Christmas on the Ad Exchanger Talks podcast. Uh, I didn't know that that would happen, so I appreciate it. I, I didn't know that would happen either, but um, I'm glad we had that uh, opportunity and uh, really enjoyed our chat today, Allison. <laughs>